Thank you, Miss Holly. Good job, honey. All right, church, get those Bibles. Open them up, please. Click them, swipe them, however you get there. 1 John chapter 1. 1 John 1, our journey is called Blessed Assurance. Great old hymn of the faith we'll be singing uh, as we get later in the book. But we're going to be looking at these categories. If you took 1 John and sort of broke it down, you'd see a section on light. That's where we'll be for a few weeks. You'll see a lot of it has to do with love, real love, biblical love, not as the world defines it. And really, what does it look like to live life with Christ? We're learning a memory verse out of each chapter, and I chose verse 9 out of chapter 1. And so let's say it first with no blanks, then I'll throw a few blanks in there. If you don't have this one in your, in your mind and in your heart, you just ought to know it. This is written to Christians. Of course, non-Christians need to confess their sin and get saved and be right with the Lord. But um, thank you, honey, for letting me know that. Um, but <laughs> I love my watch. So thank you for, um, uh, I just, what was I saying? I have no idea. You just got me off. Yeah. So when we think about the fact that this book is written to Christians. So once non-Christians get saved, there's still this struggle. And if we don't admit the struggle, there's a problem in that. And people see through that. That's why it's called hypocrisy. It's mask wearing. It's being a play actor, right? And so when we look at this verse, it's in the context of brothers and sisters. So let's say this together, okay? If we confess our sins... He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Good. I think you're getting it. Let's pull some blanks in. Ready? If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Good. 1 John 1, 9. I hope that that will really begin to set into your heart and mind this week and next. The theme is walk in the light. We talked about taking a journey of joy with the real Jesus, and we said knowing the real Jesus, the Jesus of the Bible, in whose image we're made, this Jesus, knowing him is paramount. And then fellowship with God and other believers brings fullness of joy. We know that the Bible often speaks of a vertical relationship being first, and that's followed closely by a horizontal relationship. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. Even in the Old Testament, Moses received two tablets, the two stone tablets of the Ten Commandments. The first four laws have to do with how we relate to God. The last six, how we relate to one another. And so the vertical and the horizontal always intersect. I mean, they almost form a cross, if you will. But you'll find that it's so important that we relate rightly to God and rightly to others. And so when we talk about walking in the light, that's really it. How do we begin to relate right to God and others? By walking in the light. What does that mean? Well, when we moved to Florida, we had um, sort of contractor-grade fixtures in our bathrooms, and I didn't like them too much. They had the big balls, the, the big globes, and they were hot. They were regular bulbs, and you stand there try to get ready in the morning. The bulbs were hot. So I went to the store and found some fixtures, and I was going to change them out in several bathrooms, but I decided while we were going to do it, let's go ahead and convert everything to LED. So we converted our whole house, saved on energy, saved on heat, and in Florida, anything you can do to save on heat is a good thing. And so we converted our house. We've converted our entire house here. We've converted our church here. We converted the church there. It just saves in the long run as the technology's gotten better and the cost has come down. And so I changed the fixtures, put up the LEDs. There was just one big problem. 
especially in our master bathroom. When I put up the new fixtures and the new bulbs, everything got a lot brighter, and I realized that we had some, some imperfections in our walls and in our, particularly the big mirror that we had in our bathroom. Well, whether you've been here or not, I will go ahead and tell you, I can't live that way. I just can't do it. Because when I go to get ready, I'm looking at the imperfections. So I had a choice. I could go back and put the old stuff in and lower the amount of light, and then I'd just not see it, or I could fix it. As you can imagine, I, I went on and fixed the problem. And anywhere else that the greater light revealed a problem, I went ahead and fixed the problem. And the reality is that sometimes we get uncomfortable. In fact, I'll be shocked if some people don't get uncomfortable today. I'll be shocked if I don't get some letters this week, um, some emails this week, and that's okay. As long as people are honest, as long as they sign their name. If you don't sign, I don't read. That's just plain and simple. If uh, people are too cowardly to sign, then I don't have time to read. But if you sign your name, I'll always read and reply, and that's okay. We can agree that you're wrong. So, it, you know, people will get uncomfortable, and um, when you shine the light into the darkness, you'll reveal some things. If you don't like what you see, you just go back in the dark. In fact, Jesus said to Nicodemus in John 3, men love darkness rather than light. And he was explaining because their deeds are evil. Well, what we're going to find in walking in the light is that if we choose not to do that, there's some real consequences. And so let's do this. Let's stand in the honor of the reading of God's word. Let me read 5 to 10. And let me show you real quick while you're standing how this is going to work. John's going to break this down, and we're going to get three things that we need to avoid. I'm going to call them fallacies, false claims, and then we're going to get three truths. Next week, we'll come back to the three big truths, but we're going to take the three fallacies this week and the three truths next week, and we're going to intersplice them. That's what he does. It was really not a great way for me to divide this message up, but it's way too long for one sermon. So we're going to look at those three fallacies. Next week, the three truths, we'll put them together. But for now, let's look at chapter 1, verse 5. This is the message which we have heard from him, from Jesus, and declare to you. What's the message, John? That God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. Now look at the first fallacious claim. If we say or claim that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, that just means live in the dark, we lie and do not practice the truth. But, and I always say this at communion, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, claim to, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. We just read this. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Third claim. If we say that we've not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. It's truth without any mixture of error. And I pray, oh God, that you would just help us to walk in the light of your truth. That we would walk with you relationally day by day, knowing you, known by you, sharing you with others as we go. Lord, I know that the greatest witness to a lost and watching world is a Christian who's sincere in their faith. And the greatest detriment to a lost and watching world is someone who claims to be a Christian who is not walking in the faith. So help us to be the former for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you and be seated. So 
Verse 5, this is the message which we've heard from him. John no doubt meant the Lord Jesus. He was just talking about the incarnation in verses 1 and 2, right? And so the message that he's received directly from Jesus is that God is light. In fact, Jesus would say, I am the light of the world. And in him there's no darkness. And so this is a great statement. I I left you a long blank on your grace notes because I wanted you to kind of do this as, as God leads you. God is light. What does it mean? I put down some words that I think of when I think God is light. It means purity, glory, like the the Shekinah glory of God shining forth, the uh, fire to lead at night, the cloud by day, if we think about God in the Old Testament. Uh, Holiness means to be separate, to be pure. Uh, Truth, light brings truth. And you might think of some other words. God is light. That's a common metaphor in the Old Testament for God's perfection and holiness. I've given you tons of cross-references for this week and next. Psalm 4, Isaiah 60, Psalm 27. And in case you never noticed this, when I give you cross-references, they are always in the order of the sermon. So if you ever wanted to go back, if you just got a hair and wanted to look something up afterward, I, I don't know if you would, but if you did, they're always in the order of the sermon. So you'll see John 8. That Jesus said in John 8, 12, I am, it's one of seven I am statements, I am the light of the world. And then he said, and there's no darkness in him at all. Psalm 92, 15 says that as well. Darkness, of course, is a metaphor for sin, unrighteousness, wickedness. The Greek here in chapter 1, verse 5 is very strong negation. So, the message is that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. That means not one speck of darkness. No ignorance, no error, no untruthfulness, no sin, no death. Darkness also equates to death. John heard this from Christ. He said, he's given us this message. Not just by his words, but by his life. His message was manifested. It became visible in front of us. John said, three, three and a half years, I've walked with this man, Jesus, God in flesh, and I've seen this light. He is the embodiment of the message, God is light. And you know and I know it's the nature of light to penetrate everywhere that it's not purposefully kept out. Light reveals reality and dispels darkness. And it exposes the darkness where we might want to hide. The point's made well by C.S. Lewis. He comments that we believe the sun has risen not just because we see it, but because by it we see everything else. You'll not see God with your physical eyes today unless you were to pass away, but if you look at this wonderful world God has created, particularly through the lens of Scripture, you will see God. My favorite time of the day is sitting up 15, 20 feet in a tree. It's that zero deer 30, and I know that I do not get in the woods at sunrise. Every deer hunter here, whether you're a bow hunter, muzzleloader, rifle, whatever you do, you know you don't get in the woods at that time. You go long before. In fact, do you know legal hunting light in this state and pretty much every state is 30 minutes before sunrise? Legal hunting light is 30 minutes after sundown. So in dawn and dusk, those are the perfect times because 30 minutes before actual sunrise, 30 minutes before I can see the sun come up, let's say I'm in a flat and I can actually see the sun, 30 minutes before I see the effects of it, light begins to fall upon the earth as it's rotating. Light begins to permeate. Things begin to wake up. Birds begin moving around. Squirrels begin coming out of their nests. Things happen. It's my favorite time to be in the woods. It's my favorite time to be on the water. 
things start popping. You'll see shad, and then you just, there's all of these things that I see. And anybody that can look at that sunrise and not believe that there's a God, they're blinded spiritually. Anybody can look at that East Tennessee sunset and not see that there's a God. Anybody that can drive through these beautiful mountains and not see the fall colors, something's going on. The God of this age has blinded them. But here's the deal. I don't have to look at the sun to know it's there. It's illuminating everything around it. You would say today, but, but Bobby, I get you, but if I could just see God with my eyes. No, that's not what it's about, friend. If you look through the lens of Scripture by faith, you'll see God all around you. You'll see his fingerprints, his evidence. He is a light, even in the dark world. You say, boy, there seems to be a lot of darkness around us. Sure, because people are trying to shut out the light. But because God is light, there are some fallacies we've got to avoid. A fallacy is just a false, mistaken, or deceptive idea, okay? It's any unsound reasoning that may have the appearance of soundness, but it does not align itself with biblical truth. So these are claims or fallacies that we need to avoid. So if we say, if we claim, three times John does this here at the second half of chapter 1, verse 6. If we say that we have fellowship with him, acquainted with God, but we walk in darkness, we're living in sin, basically, then we lie and don't practice the truth. I wrote it like this. Some people would make the claim sin doesn't matter. But that's a denial of sin's significance. Oh, that's no big deal. I'm walking in darkness, whatever. No big deal. But the result of that is this. We lie and don't practice the truth. And we're not fooling anybody. I promise you you're not fooling anybody. John's already said his purpose in writing is to help us enjoy fellowship with God and other believers. And now he says, if you want to cut fellowship off, just walk in darkness. God can't walk in darkness. God is light. Wherever God walks, there's light. So if you're walking in darkness, you can't be walking with God. The way to describe this in the time of John, a big old long theological term, would be antinomianism. It comes from the Greek, anti, of course, against, nomos law. Antinomianism means lawlessness or against the law. In Christian theology, it's the pejorative term for the teaching that Christians are under no obligation to obey certain laws, particularly ethics and morality. Antinomianism separates ethics from faith. It says this, oh, you're saved, you can just do anything you want. Paul would say, no way. John would say, no way. Because we, of course, know that actions speak louder than words. Antinomianism says there's to be a gap between what we say and what we do, but that's propaganda from false teachers. Doctrinally, false teachers have denied the real historical person and work of Christ. They deny that God came in the flesh. These false teachers are influenced by these Gnostic ideas, some kind of mysticism that was being taught in the day. Morally, they denied the seriousness of sin. They said, you know, it's no big deal. You can have fellowship with God regardless of your behavior. Socially, they had heretical beliefs because their spiritual pride showed up in lack of love. Think about the story of the Good Samaritan. You had a priest walk by the guy that was injured on the road. You had a Levite walk by the guy that's injured on the road, passing on the other side. Then a Samaritan comes along and bandages his wounds. And Jesus says, this is the neighbor to him. Don't be spiritually elitist and just walk away from the problems around you. That's not loving your neighbor. That's not being a Christian. Being a Christian means it shows itself, and we have an ethic. I call it a lifestyle apologetic. 
The greatest thing we at Grace could ever get is a lifestyle apologetic. I promise you it's better than any evangelism program I could teach. A lifestyle apologetic is very, very simple, but it can be tough to live out. The credibility of the message cannot be separated from the lives we live out there. So God moves without making a shadow because he's light. So if you're living in the shadows, you have to ask if you're walking with God. You say, well, it's not that big of a deal. Walking in the darkness doesn't matter that much. Really? When do you stump your toe? The lights are off, right? I don't want to wake her up. Yes, that bed has always been there, friend. Yes, the edge of the door has always been right where it is. But when you're in the dark, bam, ah, because you're walking in the dark. And even the big obstacles disappear. You don't see clearly. That's when you hurt yourself. That's when you hurt others walking in the dark. So that's the first fallacy. The second fallacy is I'm not a sinner. That's a denial of the sinful nature. This is where the world is right now, folks. This one and the next one. This is where the world is in 2021, particularly in Western culture. But we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Verse 8. If we say we have no sin, meaning a sin nature, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. See, I didn't even make anything up. I just wrote it down from the Bible. Uh, I don't think that's cheating. I just think that's probably good teaching and preaching. So the second claim is to say we don't have to worry about a sin nature. The consequences of this are even worse than the first because we're practicing self-deception. The first era concerns living. This era concerns being. Hey, I don't have a sin nature. Well, if you don't ever admit to being a sinner and having a sin nature, I don't believe you can receive salvation. Why would you need to be saved if you're not sick? Jesus would tell the Pharisees and the religious leaders of his day he had come to help the sick. If they already thought they were healthy and well, they had no need of him. And so you have to come to the place. In Matthew 19, there's an account of a young man who refused to recognize his sin. We all have to come to the place of recognizing I am a sinner. Not just because I sin, but by my very nature, I do things that I shouldn't do. There's this war in me. And Paul talked about that a lot. Oh, I want to do this, but I do that. And I, I should be doing this, but I'm doing that. Why do I do that? What a predicament I'm in, he would say. It's a struggle. I, I will give you a quick story about Holly. Uh, she led well. She prayed beautifully. But she wanted to be saved and baptized in our church in northwest North Carolina, where we, we served uh, about 11 years. And she, she had just seen her, um, one of her best buddies, who was a few years older than her, get saved, and Daddy baptized her. And so they were bestest of friends, and so Holly's five or six years old. She says, I want to be saved, Daddy. I want you to baptize me. We sat her down on the couch and began to talk to her. Now, as you can imagine, for a kid who's been in church nine months before she was born, like many of yours, she knew all the answers. Who is Jesus? What did he do? Is there any other way to heaven? Um, tell me what sin is. She understood it. Man, it was like she had been to, to seminary for five and six-year-olds. She got it, every answer. She just knew it. This is this. And I'm beginning to think, maybe God is drawing her heart. But then I asked her a very important question. I said, Holly, are you a sinner? Now, I'm not sure if it was self-preservation mechanism that kicked in. She thought maybe she'd get in trouble with Dad or what. But when I looked at that cute little redhead and said, Holly, are you a sinner? She looked right back up at me and said, no. <laughs> and I said, now, wait a minute now, Holly. 
define sin again. Blah, 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 blah. She did all of that. Now, Holly, are you a sinner? No, Daddy, I'm not a sinner. She wasn't ready. I told her, you're, you're not ready. You don't get it yet. She denied her sinful nature. And we have plenty of evidence to the contrary, okay? And so... She denied that, and the reality is a couple of years later, she did understand, and she did give her heart to Jesus, and she really has been serving him. She's our little evangelist. I mean, she cherished Jesus with a tree stump if she thought it needed to be saved, and she's going and helping lead at the wave, and our other two kids are going to help lead at the wave, and I'm going to finish up and be short on this sermon because we're going to be alone for three days. (laughs) Okay, so... um, who do you think you deceived? I know you're so excited over there. She's just like, cannot believe he just said that again. Baby, you know you want to give me sugar. Now, come on. Oh, keep preaching. Okay. I'm just preaching. He said, who do we deceive when you say that you're not a sinner? You deceive yourself only. You're the only person that you could possibly deceive. You're not deceiving God. You're not deceiving your neighbors. You're not deceiving your family or your friends. You're deceiving yourself. And John said a person like that does not have the truth in them. They don't have the truth. So let's be truthful today. What's the third claim? It's very similar. It's very similar, but it's very important that we get the nuanced difference. The third claim in verse 10 is, I haven't sinned. It's not, I'm not a sinner. It says, I haven't sinned. That's the denial of sinful actions. And the result of that is even worse. The result is that we make God a liar, and his word isn't in us. Down through the centuries, there have been groups in the church who believed and taught it's possible for a Christian to live without sin. There are even so-called Christian groups that believe this, and there are certainly many cults that believe this. But they, they don't mean simple victory by faith with Jesus and union with Christ, as Romans 6 teaches. No, no, no. They believe the old sinful nature is so subdued as to be eradicated. And the consequence of that is they teach that you could live totally on a higher plane. If you just believe enough, if you just have enough faith, no sin, no sickness, no suffering, healthy, wealthy, and wise. Christian science believes this. It's neither Christian nor science. But they would say that if you just believed enough, you could throw those glasses away. Take out those hearing aids, man. You don't need anything else. But the fact is that sin has ravaged us physically and spiritually and emotionally in every way. And the introduction of this teaching that we're not sinning may have excellent motives. It may try to magnify the work of Christ and his atoning death and his resurrection. But this is often couched in funny terms. you got to have full surrender. you got to have a second or third blessing. you got to have a release of the Spirit. Now, not all groups that use those terms mean what I'm talking about. But sometimes it's meant that if you'll just get on a certain higher plane, you will never struggle with sin again in this life. And what I'm here to remind you is that in this life, you are still within this sinful tent, this body, and that there will always be a war going on. And so you must walk with God in the light because you don't have the power to deal with it on your own, my friend. And so I want you to understand that if you believe, no, 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 I don't struggle with that anymore, then you're in for a rude awakening when that beast of sin rears its ugly head again. It's said that the prince of preachers, Charles Haddon Spurgeon, was once confronted by a man who claimed to be without sin. You've probably met people like this, a little super spiritual. 
he was intrigued, and so Spurgeon invited him home to dinner. After hearing the man's claims, Spurgeon picked up a glass of water and threw it in the guy's face. Well, understandably, the visitor was highly indignant and expressed himself very forcefully to the great preacher about his lack of courtesy, to which Spurgeon wisely replied, Ah, you see, the old man within you is not dead. He had simply fainted and could be revived with a glass of water. (laughs) That's pretty good. You want to see the old man in me, cut me off out there, and you'll see him revived with dumb drivers. You see, the third claim here is to be without sin and conduct. And the, the, the most serious consequence is we make God a liar, right? And his word, his truth is not in us. It attacks his nature and revelation and because the word of God declares sin to be universal and present. They have all turned aside. They've all together become corrupt. No one does good. No, not one. Psalm 14.3. Isaiah 53.6. All we like sheep have gone astray. Everyone is turned to his own way. But God hath laid on him, Jesus, the Messiah, the iniquity of us all. And everybody in the room that's been in church very long knows Romans 3.23. It says, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. You say, yeah, 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 that's before salvation, preacher. Well, wait a minute. In Romans 1, verse 7, Paul said, I'm writing to the saints of Rome. I'm writing to brothers and sisters. Do you realize most of the New Testament, particularly these epistles, these big letters, they're written to believers. They're written to the church. They're written to us, if you know Jesus. And he says, we've all sinned, and we continue. Now, we don't continue in it that grace may abound, but because of our sinful nature, We have sinful action. A number of verses in the Bible tell us we still will sin after conversion. Philippians 3.12, James 3.2, James 4.17. But because a Christian will sin, he shouldn't deny his sin. If you deny that it's sin, then you make God a liar. And the difference in wording between 8 and 10 is significant because in verse 10 we move from the inward principle of a sinful nature to the outward confirmation that we still struggle with this disease. Yes, it's healed ultimately because Jesus forgives us past, present, and future. But the reality is we still struggle with darkness so we must daily die to self and walk in the light. But see, in our current culture, our current culture, People are trying to change the game, change the language. There's a semantic thing. In fact, I gave an illustration in service one about a church close by that put up something very unbiblical on their sign this morning. Praise God, it was taken down between that service and this service. I'm hoping some kids, as bad as this sounds, I'm hoping some kids were playing around and shuffled their letters around and did that just as a mean joke. I wouldn't suggest trying that at Grace, though. Well, we have an LED board. It would be very difficult. But I'm just here to tell you, folks, this changing of definitions, this semantic shuffle we're in is terrible. So we no longer call it the sin of adultery. We've said, I'm having an affair. I'm just having some on the side, just just playing over here. We just call theft helping myself to the company perks. We call selfishness standing up for my rights. We call murder choice. And you can be mad about that. You can say, well, I disagree. Well, then you're not disagreeing with me. You're disagreeing with the word of God. You just called God a liar. And his truth is not in you. 
He said, but pastor, when you say things like that, don't you worry about upsetting people? Absolutely not, because one day I'll stand before my maker and my judge, and I don't want to upset him. I'll be with him forever. I'll just passing through this place, even if God gives me 100, 120 years. I'm just passing through. But, 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 but pastor, doesn't that make us vulnerable? The most loving thing we can do is speak the truth. We can stand on the word of God. It is the same yesterday, today, forever. God is immutable, unchanging. The winds of culture will change just like it's 60 today. It'll be 80 tomorrow. The winds of culture change even faster, but our God is a rock and a refuge, and I praise him for that. I praise him for that. We have devolved into optimistic evolutionary humanism. It's just a fancy way of saying, I'm okay, you're okay, everybody's okay, except the preacher or the Christian who says, you're not okay. Everybody's okay except those who believe in a standard. Everybody's okay except those who say boys are boys and girls are girls, even when you put lipstick on it. Boys are boys and girls are girls. Oh, you're going to hurt somebody's psyche. Pastor, don't you know they'll leave the church? Listen, they need to be transformed by the gospel. The only hope people have for joy and contentment and fulfillment is not a reassignment surgery. It's a heart transplant by the Lord Jesus Christ. I feel for the people that are struggling right now. I feel for the stars like Demi Lovato that's now non-binary and chosen new pronouns for herself. I feel for the Bruce Jenners of the world. You should show pronoun hospitality. I should speak truth in love. One of our biggest pitfalls in our current culture is this optimistic evolutionary humanism. I'm okay, you're okay. Everything will work out in the end. ba long knee. The fallacies to avoid. Sin doesn't matter. That's the denial of sin's significance. We lie and we don't practice the truth if we say it doesn't matter. I'm not a sinner. Well, that's the denial of your very nature. You deceive yourself. The truth isn't in you. And worst of all, I haven't sinned. I never struggle. That's the denial of your sinful actions. You make God a liar. His word is not in us. I want to close with this great story. J. Vernon McGee, I don't know how many of you have ever listened to McGee. He's been with the Lord a number of years now. Uh, he was most known for pastoring in L.A. Uh, I didn't know that. And in his um, radio program that was later made into a commentary set posthumously um, through the Bible commentary. I just love McGee because he's just a straight shooter. I certainly don't agree with all of his exegesis. There are a lot of things I read and go, no. But I really like J. Vernon McGee, and he started pastoring in Middle Tennessee. I had no idea. And I love this story because I've kind of been there. Not exactly in this scenario, but it just spoke to me. He said, I went squirrel hunting several years ago when I was holding meetings in my first pastor in Middle Tennessee in a place called Woodbury, outside of Nashville, I think. After the morning service, a doctor came to me and asked if I wanted to go squirrel hunting. I told him there's nothing I'd rather do. And after lunch, he brought me a shotgun, and we drove out to his farm and parked in the barnyard, walked along the creek, and, and uh, had some good hunting. But finally, we came to a fork in the creek, and he said to me, I'm going to take the right fork. You take the left. It leads you around a small hill and eventually back up to the barnyard. We'll meet there. 
In the meantime, it looked like it was going to rain. It drizzled once or twice and stopped. So when I started out by myself, it started drizzling again, but I kept going, made the turn around the hill, and I noticed quite a few uh, caves on the hillside. Well, it really started to rain now, and I knew I was going to get wet, so I crawled into one of those caves. I went into the largest one I could find. I sat down in the dark for about 30 minutes. It was a downpour. And then finally, I got a little cold and decided I needed a fire, so I gathered a bunch of leaves scattered on the floor of that cave, and I put a match to them. Soon I had a small fire going, and when I looked around the cave, I found out I wasn't alone. He said, I have never been in the place where there were so many spiders, spiders and lizards in that cave. And then over in the corner, Mike Floyd loves this, there was a little snake all coiled up. Cue the video I have of Mike Floyd, but I'm not going to show it today. I'm going to hold it for blackmail. I've got a video you got to see. <laughs> McGee said, my friend... I got out of there in a hurry, working on the assumption that possession is nine-tenths of the law, and since those creatures were there ahead of me, that cave belonged to them. I proceeded down to the barn. I got soaking wet, but I wasn't going to stay in that cave. Now, McGee said, let me make application. I'd been sitting in comfort for about 30 minutes while I was in the darkness, but the light of the fire revealed what was really in that cave. Now, listen. He said, I could no longer be comfortable there. My friend, across this land today are multitudes of folks who are sitting in churches every Sunday morning but not hearing the Word of God. As a result, they're sitting there in darkness, having some dissertation on the good life or exhortation that they can be the best they can, and they're comfortable. Of course they're comfortable, but if they'd get into the light of the Word of God, they would see that they're sinners and cannot bring God down to their level. John said that if a person is having fellowship with God but living in sin, he is lying. I love y'all enough, and I love those thousands of people out there that tune in every week or podcast us. Thank you, guys. I love you enough to speak truth. It won't make me the most popular. It may not build a crowd, but I'm not called by God to build a crowd. We're called to build a congregation of brothers and sisters in Christ here and around the world. And so what I want to say to us is that we should never deny the significance of our own sin or deny our sinful nature or sinful actions because one day you're not going to answer in front of me. You're going to answer in front of your maker, your sustainer, your judge and mine. So we need to get out of the dark. It may be comfortable where you're sitting, but if you let the light of the gospel shine in, you'll find that it's a scary place with a lot of things around you that can hurt you. So trust God today and walk in the light. Stand with me. Next week, we're going to get into part two. We'll look at those three truths. We'll take the three fallacies and we'll splice them together. And so the good news today is this. If you're lost, you can be saved. If you're lost today, you can be saved. You can make the only... I like something Pastor Brian said in the last hour. It caught my ear. He said it in a different way, but I'm going to say it like this. You can make a decision today that will matter a million years from now. That's pretty cool, isn't it? You can make a decision today that can last a million years from now, and then you'd just be getting started with the impact of that decision. 
If God is calling you, whether you're out there or here, if you're out there, let us know. If you're in here, there'll be pastors on the sides, and then I and Miss Cindy and other pastors and counselors will be here as the invitation continues. Some folks will head toward home or head toward the restaurant or whatever, but you can come and speak with us. We had good response in the last hour. And I want you to do a couple of things. Number one, if you need to give your life to Jesus, come on, get out of the dark and come to Christ. Number two, if you're a Christian but you know, you know you haven't had fellowship in the light lately, you've been in the shadows, come home. Come back. If you need a church home, a family to call your own, we'd love to have you. We'll tell you what to do next. And then finally, I need prayer warriors. I need people of faith who understand we're living in a time and living in an age where we're going to have to go against the grain. If you've watched any of The Chosen, the intro to that shows fish and the blue ones are swimming against the crowd. We've got to, folks. We got to. It won't be the most popular. But really, when should Christianity be the most popular? In fact, the only one we should ever care about pleasing has already made the way for us to heaven. If we'll please the Lord Jesus Christ, then all the other stuff won't matter. I don't mean to be purposefully offensive, but to speak the truth in love. And so I want you to be a prayer warrior with me today. You might need to just pray for our nation. It is Memorial Weekend, and people have died for the freedoms we enjoy. But those freedoms are going to be taken from us Christians if we don't stand on truth. First Amendment freedoms, Second Amendment freedoms, you can go down the line. They're going to be eroded quickly if we don't stand for truth in love. I also want you to pray for our students. We have a whole pile of them getting ready to go experience the wave at the wilderness. They're going to Wilderness Lodge in Sevier County, and they're going to have a great week. And there are some that are going to give their lives to Jesus. We're going to see eternities changed in the next few days. And I want you to pray for Pastor Brian and his crew. Maybe you can come and specifically pray for your own student or grandkids or some of our kids. When I say amen, this altar is going to be open. And whatever you need to do with the Lord, would you do it right now in the last few minutes we have together? Father in heaven, I'm grateful for today. I know that we live in a time where nobody wants to be told that there is a right and a wrong, that there's light and dark that there's truth and untruth. But optimistic evolutionary humanism, this concept that we've talked about, Lord, it doesn't help anybody. It doesn't help anybody when we don't have a lifestyle uh, apologetic. Our apologetics should be in not only what we say, but how we live and what the world sees. I just pray that you'd bless our kiddos as they go today and the next several days. Bless their leaders. Draw young men and women to yourself and move in these final moments for the sake of our people, for the sake of this nation. You have had your hand on this land for so very long, but I fear if it's not already removed, it's being removed quickly. God, that's not our choice. We need your blessings. So we come to pray and beseech you now in Jesus' name. Amen. The altar's open. Please come.